awesome. That's so true. Jesus does change everything. And we're definitely going to get into that a little later on. But before we do, I have one question. It's a very important question. Venture Kids, where are you at? Oh, man, that's, that's kind of weak, guys. Your kids, come on, let me hear something. Venture Kids, where are you at? Yeah, there we go, there we go. Awesome. Well, kids, fifth grade and under, you guys are dismissed out to your classes. We got some volunteers out here, escort you back to your rooms. Um, parents, if you have not yet checked in your kids, please, at this time, if you would, head out there with them. Go ahead and check them in so we can keep uh, account of all the kids here. If you're a new family here and you have children that are fifth grade and under, they're welcome to join as well. All of our volunteers are background checked. We have a security team, so they're well uh, safe and taken care of back there. They have a lot, a lot of fun. So, you guys skedaddle out of here. Awesome. So, speaking of kids, growing up, just go down memory lane with me for a second. Growing up, my mom and dad had a couple of phrases that they liked to use after I disobeyed, after I went out of line and I just started whining and complaining. Normally, it's one of three phases. For me, I have one of three phases. You probably don't have these phases. First one is pouting, just a scrunchy face and just I don't even, I just don't even want to talk to you. you. You won't give me the cookie, and I want my cookie. And so I'm just going to sit in this corner, and I want anybody to look at me. Don't even try to make me laugh. Don't even try to make, don't even tickle me. Don't even, just don't even do it. Anybody powders? I was a powder. I was a big powder. Phase number two, just crying. You disobeyed. You don't get what you want. Flat out cry. Just, uh, and then the tears. I, I can't do tears. I'm not an actor or anything, so I have to use, like, eye drops, make my mom think I'm actually crying. Um, or there's phase three. This one, man, when I'm a parent, this one's just going to throw me right over the edge. Phase three is whining, but it's like crying mixed with whining. So it's kind of crying all in one. And it's just, the, the thing is, is you kind of fit the entire paragraph of words into one word. And it goes something like this. I don't want to go. I'm going to get this thing and I'm going to put it in the car. And now I'm going to take it off. You won't let me do it because I want to do it. And you know, <laughs> Anybody? No, your kids probably have never done that. They've probably never done that. They're like, my kid did that this morning. And then you said this phrase. This is the phrase. My house, my rules. Any parents? You ever said that? Man, I heard that a lot. I said, yes. I said that this morning, my child. Man, my mom and dad said that to me all the time. Or you have this phrase right here. You got you to have the finger for this one. Boy, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Everybody, you finish it. Finish it before I even say, I brought you in this world, and I can take you out. That one's like level two. If you, if you got that phrase, you deserved it. You definitely deserved it. Here's the third one. This one, this one uh, I just didn't like it. It's my way or the highway. <laughs> it rhymes. See, when it rhymes, it just makes it even worse. It makes it more cheesy, and you're like, no, phase one, two, you can use those phrases. Don't say the third one. My way or the highway, don't rhyme. Don't rhyme, don't rhyme. But it wasn't until I got older that I realized there was a purpose. Those phrases had a meaning. My mom had a reason to put me in line. Disobeyed. She's trying to teach me how to be a man, how to be a grown man, hopefully, hopefully. And I realized that my mom and dad actually had some good sense that I probably should shower, you know, once a week. It's probably pretty good. I don't know. Brush my teeth before I go to the dentist. That's, that's very important. Don't have to brush your teeth all the time, just before you go to the dentist so they know you've been brushing your teeth. No, but for real though, uh, being respectful to elders was something my mom and dad had a really, really high priority on. 
And so they do this one way. Before I went to anybody's house out in public, I would say, remember to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. Every time. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. And I would respond with, I got it. I got it. What? Yes. What was that? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. It grained it in my head. Now, there's a reason they did all that. Again, because they were teaching me a way. As we get older, as we grow out of the nest and we're kicked out of the cage and you decide to make your own way, your own way of doing things. And as we get older, there's certain ways we like things. You get married. Like I used to do this this way and now my wife likes it this way. So what do I do? Eggs. I like my eggs a certain way. She doesn't like her eggs that way. Do you want your mattress firm? Do you want like a soft mattress? Your chair and your car, you like your seat a certain uh, distance from the steering wheel. Your phones are set up a certain way. Your house is decorated a certain way. Traffic lights, do you stop at the red light or do you like to run straight through it like everybody else in Wilmington, you know? We all have our own way of doing things. And the thing is that everybody thinks that our way is the right way. Everybody has that part of them that's like, this is the right way to do it. I have an example. Coffee drinkers. Where are you at? Raise your hand. Coffee drinkers. Okay. Now, black coffee drinkers. Raise your hand. All right. People that put cream and sugar in their coffee, are they crazy? Yes, they are crazy. Cream and sugar people, where are you at? Raise your hand. Cream and sugar. Are us black coffee drinkers crazy? We are crazy. Okay. Are any of us wrong? Yes. Cream and sugar people, you are wrong. Coffee deserves to be black and filled to the brim. No room. No room for cream and sugar. But you get my point. We all have our way of doing things, and we all defend it. We all like our own way of doing it, and we enforce it on other people. Isn't it funny how it's just an opinion? It's totally our taste buds, but we think people are crazy for putting cream and sugar in their coffee. And those are the little things, but as you continue to get older, and as I'm continuing to realize that some ways we get grown up in really have a change in our future. There's certain things we believe, certain things we're raised in, that as you continue to grow up, they start to change your future and your path in life. And when God put the earth into motion, he presented a way to live to Adam and Eve. He said, you have the entire garden, but don't eat from this tree. It's a way to live. Disobeyed, fast forward, 10 commandments, you have the book of law, you have all these different things where God's saying, this is how I want you to live and do it. (laughs) Obey, go live within my means the way that I design. And if you're a Christian, or maybe not a Christian yet here in the room, it's important for us to know the way God designed us to live. It's important for us to know, not only just know, but to obey, to understand the reason behind why Jesus came and spoke the things he spoke, and he asked us to live the way he asked us to live. Not just because he wants us to, but he designed us to live in a certain way. So to do that this morning, we're going to be in the Word of God, the Bible. I'm going to invite you guys, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and take it out. We also have some Bibles over here for free. You can take and pick up, take it home with you if you don't have an easily readable Bible. But we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And throughout, uh, what, one thing we do, do know about Scripture is that it is the most important truth that God has given us. And so every week we like to dive into the Bible for that reason. It's not just some book that some man wrote, but it's literally the words of God. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is uh, the first book in the New Testament, one of four Gospels. And the Gospels, very simply put, is the life of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. 
And so throughout Matthew, we have different encounters that Jesus has with other people, but also we have different teaching points, different sermons. And this morning, we're being one of my favorites, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very popular uh, passage in the book of Matthew. Actually, throughout uh, all the Gospels, it's very popular. But the Sermon on the Mount actually starts, and we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning, but the Sermon on the Mount actually starts in chapter 5, and it just says, Jesus saw large crowds, he went up on a mountaintop, his disciples joined him, and he started teaching. And then he just goes, and he just talks, and he hits so many topics. I mean, topic after topic, and he just changes, and the paragraph changes to this thing, and you're like, how do we get here? But he just keeps going and going. And if you just read it straight through, sometimes we miss some things. We forget. We kind of skim over. And so this morning, the Lord has just given me a passage to stay on so that we can learn and hopefully learn about his way on how he wants us to live our life. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So as you can see, this passage right here, he just goes on, and he just goes. And after this, he talks about worry and anxiety. He talks about judgment. There's all kinds of things. So if you haven't read it, first of all, I encourage you, read the Sermon on the Mount. It's very, very, very incredible. But for the, the first part of, the, of this passage, verses 19 and 20, um, there's another scripture in the book of James that will help us pull out the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us here. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, James writes this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So you take that passage paired with don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And you see what Jesus is trying to say here. This life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. You know, I'm sure you guys have tragic stories where just all of a sudden things change. Family member, friends. And so if we spend our life putting our treasures and things on this earth that do not follow us when we leave, then we're putting our heart in something that it's, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And Jesus is trying to remind us and say that, first of all, our eyes should be on eternity. Our eyes should be on the cross. Our eyes should be on Jesus to focus on him, put our heart with him where our treasure lies. So James just reminds us of that because me, I'm 27, um, I feel infinite. I feel like I can just keep going. I'm going to have a, a big family. You're going to have a house and you're going to retire and then 
then I'm going to go travel. You know, you have all these dreams and thoughts, but the truth is what the Lord is reminding us is that if we put our hope, if we put our foundation in these things, they can be destroyed. Sadly, Wilmington has experienced a hurricane that has made this very true for a lot of people. So, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven, verse 21, for your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I read a book um, maybe a year ago. It's called Counterfeit Gods by a man named Tim Keller. Really incredible book. I encourage you guys to read it. But this book, uh, he outlines many counterfeit gods or idols that we are, don't really realize that we're worshiping, but we are actually worshiping. And I know what you're thinking, idols. No, I, no, I don't worship idols. That's, that's crazy. crazy. Nobody, nobody worships idols these days. Like, I don't really have like a golden kangaroo or like a holy piece of toast or something that we're bowing down to. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a physical idol, but something that takes the place of where God should be in our hearts. And what Tim Keller says in the book is a really great quote, and I hope you hold on to this this morning. The first point of three, Keller says this, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. Repeat that again. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol something you are actually worshiping. There's also this question he pairs with it. It comes right after it, and he asks this question. So this is something we could ask ourselves to help us understand this better. What is so important to me that I cannot live without? Ask yourself that question. What is so important to me that I cannot live without? And that's what you're worshiping. That's what you idolize. And for most of us, it's a good thing. It's family, my wife, Kids, I will have someday. Maybe a house, you know, home, a roof over my head. I really enjoy these things. I feel like I can't really live without food or water. And, you know, you think of these real things. But what Jesus is trying to pull out of us in the way of living, again, we're talking about Jesus' way of living, how he designed us to live, is for us to treasure him most above everything else. And so when you ask that question, you say, what can I not live without What the Lord wants is for you to say the name Jesus. I cannot live without Jesus. I need Jesus to bring life to me. As a Christian, that's that's tough, especially in America, because it's easy to look at all the other things that can pull our attention and take our hearts away. And with entertainment and our phones, and there's so many things that could distract us from the main mission is to making Jesus our Lord. So I encourage you guys, ask that question. What is so important to me that I cannot live without? And then ask the Lord to help you make him that person. Let's continue on. After verse 21, we get to verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of light. Of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You guys ever heard of Whole 30? Maybe a couple people. You have? Yes. We, my family did it. 
Um, if not, I'm going to give you a synopsis. This is pretty much what it is, okay? For 30 days, you eat nothing. You don't drink anything. You only eat watered-down cardboard for 30 days. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not really what you do. It's not, it's not a diet plan. A lot of people think it's a diet plan. You lose weight. It actually has nothing to do with weight. It's not like Atkins or, um, or Weight Watchers or anything like that. It's all about your health. And the main goal is, is you cut out all these additives that these big box companies are putting in food. You cut out sugars, added sugars. You can eat fruit and all that. All this added stuff, and you take it out for 30 days, and then you see your body have a change. And when you slowly introduce it back, you see that you have reactions to certain things that you're just kind of used to. You swept over. So I actually found out through Whole30 that I have a dairy allergy. I had allergies my whole life, congested, just throat kind of feel like clothes and everything. I did Whole30, felt incredible. And then when I reintroduced dairy, instant reaction. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I never even knew it, never even knew it. But the thing is about Whole30 that blew me away, just blew me away, is that there is sugar in everything. Everything there is sugar. I mean, okay, pasta sauce, pasta sauce has sugar in it. Salsa has sugar in it. Chips, just tortilla chips has sugar in it. So if you're eating chips and salsa, it's a double whammy. It's, it's worse. <laughs> ketchup. Ketchup has sugar. Peanut butter has sugar in it. Now, I have a confession to make about this one. I thought, until I did Whole30, you guys are going to laugh at me, I thought that there's actually butter in peanut butter. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, wait, there's not, there's not butter in peanut butter? It's just peanuts, guys, and sugar, of course. But I thought there was actually butter. That's why it was called butter, but... It's the consistency of butter, so. <laughs> but anyways, my family, we did Whole30. Uh, I technically did Whole19, so uh, don't, I won't lie on the stage. I did not do Whole30. I did Whole19. But really, there's, there's a, like a detox moment. You don't even realize it, but the first couple of days after you cut out sugar, you have this crazy headache, crazy headache. And what it is, is it's a, it's a sugar crash because your body is addicted to sugar. You never even knew you were eating. You're eating things that you didn't think there was sugar in, and when you take all that out, your body's like, where's all these additives? What's going on? And so it blew me away that just changing the diet made me feel more awake, made me feel more aware. There's a consistent energy throughout the day. I slept better. I felt better throughout the day, and what we really eat does have an effect on our bodies and our moods. And so I know we're talking about food here, talking about Whole30 and all those different things, but what Jesus is saying about our eyes it's about what we see, what we ingest, entertainment, what we look at, does have an effect on our souls. This one's a hard topic to touch on, especially in the uh, binge watching and video game and all this entertainment that is available to us. We all kind of defend and, and say, well, you know, those things don't, they don't really affect me. I, I'm kind of tough into that. Like, I can hear the cuss words. I can see the blood and gore, those different scenes. Sometimes I'll fast forward through, but if you keep watching shows like Game of Thrones, if you keep reading books like Fifty Shades of Grey, if you keep scrolling through everyone's perfect social media page, there's going to be consequences. That's what Jesus is talking about here, light and darkness. The more darkness you continue to see, the darker you're going to feel, the weight you're going to feel. So I encourage you guys, one, just like Whole30, maybe take a break for certain things and see how you feel. I challenge you. I challenge you. If you watch shows like Game of Thrones, first of all, you should stop. It's not worth it. 
Just because it's a good story does not mean that you have to ingest that story because your guys at work are talking about it. And the other hard part about this way of living, again, this is Jesus' way of living. I'm not saying you should do this because Aaron said it on stage. But if you live this way, you're going to stick out. I work in a mechanical company and uh, lead, lead a lot of guys that uh, do HVAC. And so on a job site, I don't know if you've ever been on a job site, but there are team members. Our guys are pretty good, but there are job sites that can get a little crazy and say things and have conversations. And when you don't participate or you stick up and they ask you, hey, you watched that show? You see that thing last night? No. Oh, why not, man? I just, I don't think I should watch it. Why not? The show's incredible. And they start defending it and saying, you should watch it. Why don't you watch it? And you have to give an answer and say, well, I don't feel like I should ingest that type of stuff. And then you just look like you're crazy. Because they're like, you actually think about what you look at? Like, I just look at everything, you know? And so I want to warn you, you live life Jesus' way. You're not going to fit in. Just not. Maybe here. (laughs) But in the world where we should be a light in the community. Remember, darkness does not lack light, but always, always a light we find in Scripture. The light always overcomes darkness. So, if you live this way, be warned. You're not going to fit in, but it's worth it because just like Whole30 and you realize you're more awake and you feel more aware, if we cut out the things that are holding us back that weigh us down, there's going to be a light within us. There's going to be a peace. There's going to be comfort that comes from the Lord because we're living life his way. So let's, let's recap real, real quick before we go to our last point of this passage. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. This is where we're going to land at. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When it comes to our way of doing things, money normally comes to the top of the list. We all have our own ways we like to use our money. We spend it on ourselves, spend it on family, bigger house, nicer car, less of that. You have the exact opposite of everybody, maybe just a saver, not buying anything extra. How should we spend the money? As your couple, do you budget? Do you live below your means or do you live above your means? Do you tithe? If you tithe, do you tithe off the gross of the net? How generous should we be? When God says generous, does that mean we give away everything? Or is it kind of like we'll tithe and then we'll give towards the end? There's a lot of discussion, and the, the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. And most of the time, our ears perk up and we tune out because we're talking about money give to the church, give to the church, and all that. But the truth is, the reason God speaks on money is not about who you give to, but what happens in your heart in relationship with money. Again, 
God designed us to live a certain way. God designed us to be in a certain path of life. And what the Lord is trying to say is just shape us back down and say, your relationship with money can be evil. It's not always evil. Because first of all, I'm going to make this point, because sometimes it can get confusing with a passage like this where you cannot serve both God and money. The verse is not saying if we have a lot of money, then we can't serve God. Or if we serve God, we can't have a lot of money. That's not what it's saying, and it's a common misconception when you read something like this, that if somebody has a lot of money, they're heathens, and the people that don't have a lot of money, they're the best in the kingdom of God. That's not the truth. Money is amoral. What I mean by that is money, it has no morals. It doesn't care what happens to it. So money, and the analogy, is kind of like a brick. I can use that brick, and I could throw it through a window. I could break the window. Or I can use that brick to build a hospital. Either way, it's a brick. You're going to need a lot more bricks if you're going to build a hospital. That's another point. But the truth is, is the money does not care what happens to it, but God is trying to remind us, to teach us how we should live in relationship with money. So there's two points Jesus is making. The first one, this verse is in correlation about money to humanity, and Jesus is talking about debt. In the book of Proverbs, there is all kinds of wisdom. Another great thing about the Sermon on the Mount, you have all the different topics, but the book of Proverbs, if you've not read Proverbs, and I encourage you to read Proverbs, is the book of continuous wisdom. There's all kinds. There's nuggets of wisdom. You have quotable wisdom. You have tattooable wisdom. You can probably just go in a tattoo shop and say, I want Proverbs 43.7. Just tattoo it right here. Just put it right there, and it'll be a great quote. I promise you. Don't do that. Really don't do that. But Ironically, Solomon uh, records quite a bit of wisdom about money. It's the most popular topics when people read Proverbs and want to learn about money. And this proverb is very important to us this morning as we learn about what Jesus is saying. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt has become a way of living here in 2019. Back in 1950, there was no such thing as a credit card. In 1950, things changed when the Diners Club came out with a little card that you could put things on credit, put your meal on credit, and everybody was like, nah, that'll never last. Cash is king, that's always going to be the case. Something took off. Diners Club took off, and people started to catch on that more people buy when you don't have to pay for it right then, because you don't feel it. Oh, yeah, have more food, more food. Let's, let's uh, put that in the shopping cart, too. It'll be fine, and you keep going, you keep going, and so Visa catches on, JCPenney catches on, Sears catches on. They start coming out with their own cards, and debt starts to roll, and now in 2019, we borrow on everything, everything. We care about how much a month, and the problem is is that we don't really know how much harm it's doing. Just like what we look at and what we ingest with entertainment, as you continue on, you don't really know what's really happening. You just care, the story's great, this is really awesome. Same thing with debt. You don't know the weight that's actually coming along with it. You're like, I just got this couch, and it's awesome. I can't really afford it, but the monthly payments are okay. But I want to make a point here real quick. There's not a command that Jesus or Solomon says, don't have debt. It's not a command. Again, Jesus is saying, this is what is going to happen. Cause and effect. 
The rich will rule over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. He's saying this is how the world works. If you're a borrower, you are enslaved to the lender. The lender becomes our master. And when it comes to serving Jesus with our finances, the reason this is important is because when the Lord wants to bless somebody with money, we can't do it if we're broke. If Best Buy and Rooms to Go and Capital One take all of our leftover cash, how are we going to be able to give? It's going to be tight. So you take your car payment, you take your truck payment, think about how much that is and how much that could bless and rock somebody's world if you gave that away. And it's crazy the, the amount that it continues to increase. Like car payments used to be 150 200 300 now they're getting to 500 and they're getting to $700. And see some of my guys' car payments, I'm like, man, that is somebody's rent that you're paying for a car that you can't afford. Blows my mind, blows my mind. But that's not the point. The point is the relationship of debt to humanity. The borrower is enslaved to the lender. So I'm not saying you should just go pay off all your debt. I think it's a great thing, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to point out is the relationship that Jesus says here. It's the borrower is enslaved to the lender and that you cannot serve both God and money. And the truth is, is that the Lord doesn't want us to just not have money. He uses money to bless people all the time. It's just that relationship between money and how it fits in a relationship with the Lord. In this series, um, we've been going through uh, movies. We do it every year. It's called At the Movies. And this year, it's, uh, the topic is fight. And um, I got uh, picked or, or given the movie called Saving Private Ryan. And it's a tough movie. It really is. Um, it's very realistic because it uh, reminds us of World War II and D-Day. And um, I, actually, a lot of veterans that have watched the movie said it's the most realistic war movie they've ever seen. And so um, it's not for the queasy stomach um, type people. But there's a point in the movie. Uh, first of all, there's a guy named Captain Miller. Let's paint it this way. There's a guy named Captain Miller. Um, he's a great captain, great leader. People love following him. And uh, they make their move up Normandy. And uh, once they get up, they get situated. This uh, command comes in, this new mission, to go save Private Ryan. On D-Day, back in America, this general learns that there's this one mom that lost all three of her kids on D-Day. And they're brokenhearted, and they have the papers in their hand. They're about to go deliver that all three of her sons died. But somebody else comes in the room last minute and says, there's a fourth son. There's a fourth one. They're like, what do we do? Well, let's find him. Like, bring him home. Make him safe. We don't want her to lose all four, four uh, children. So what happens is, long story short, is that they send Captain Miller to go rescue to save Private Ryan. That's where the name comes from. But the funny thing is, Captain Miller, good man. That's my mission. Cool. We're going out. Pack your bags. We're leaving. All of his troop, his squad, not having it. Just save Private Ryan. What about me? I came here, I'm here fighting. Why can't I just go home? How come he gets to go home? I came here to fight. How come I, I don't get to just go on the front lines and do what I'm made to do, what I'm trained to do? So they're mad. But anyways, sergeant, recruit, fall in. That's, that's the orders, fall in, let's move on. Get your bags, fall in. He actually says that several times in the movie. But there's this really 
incredible scene. They come up on a field. There are really no enemies around, hardly whatsoever. They come up on this field and they see this, this uh, bunker out in the distance. And it's an enemy bunker. Enemy doesn't see him, doesn't see him at all. And uh, Captain Miller has a decision to make. We can either continue to flank around, unseen, in the brush, and ignore it. We'll let some other troop deal with it. We don't have the men, we don't have the ammo, we don't have the guns. Let's just keep going. That's what all of his, his troop wants to do. But Captain Miller, being a man of honor, he does the right thing. He says, all right, come here, bring it in, bring it in. We have a plan, we're gonna take down the bunker. What? You kidding me? Yes, we're gonna take down the bumper. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, three people, you flank left. Uh, you three are gonna flank right. Me and uh, uh, a guy here, we're gonna, we're gonna move up the middle. And I want you to start. You're gonna distract them. We're gonna go up here, fire this way, and then we're gonna attack. We're gonna take down the bunker so nobody else has to die from our side. So that's what they do. They go up, they have a plan. It's a great plan. It's a great plan. The sad thing is, is that the guy standing next to Captain Miller gets shot. He falls to the ground. And uh, he's one of those people on the team that you just, you don't want to lose. He's a medic, and he's very important. Everybody loves him. He's a lovable guy on the team. And um, after this moment, everything shifts, where the troop was kind of putting up with it and just being like, okay, just go along with it. We're following Captain Miller. They're not having it. Like, we're ending our own guy's life to go save this one guy. How many more lives are we going to let go just to save this one guy? And I love Captain Miller's response here. There's two things I want to pull of it, but I just, I just want to show you this scene, and let's watch it together. Here's uh, what Captain Miller responds to this fight. I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition. This little town called Adley, Pennsylvania. It's, uh, in the last 11 years, I've been at Thomas Alva Edison High School. I was a coach of the baseball team in the springtime. Back home, and I tell people what I do for a living, and they think, well, now that figures. But over here, it's uh, a big mystery. So I guess I've changed some. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much my wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to to tell her about days like today. Uh, Ryan I don't know anything about Ryan. I don't care. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. But if... You know, if going to Ramel and finding him so he can go home, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, well, then... Then that's my mission. You want to leave? You want to go off and fight the war? All right. All right, I won't stop you. I'll even put in the paperwork. I just know that every man I kill, the farther away from home I feel.
you catch that at the end? My favorite part about that scene, um, dialogue's incredible. Tom Hanks, great actor. My favorite part is that he goes up the mountainside and does the honorable thing. He buries enemies. I'm sure it, I can imagine. I, we're so uh, blessed here in America to not experience something like World War II, but um, the, the follow-up, once Captain Miller does that, whole troop, he doesn't ask them to follow but their natural reaction is they're going to go up there and they're going to do it with them. It's countercultural. It's completely different than what most troops would do. And the truth is about this message, about Jesus' teaching, pretty much across the board, it's just all countercultural. Jesus doesn't fit in with America. He doesn't fit in with the way normal people do things and how we use our money, how we uh, buy stuff for our houses, for ourselves, and uh, how we view entertainment, all of those things. It's normal to just ingest it all, but Jesus says, watch, be careful. Be careful what you spend your money on. Be careful what you ingest into your brain, into your soul. Do you not know what damage it does? And living the life the way that Jesus outlined, will, it will make you stick out and be questioned. And um, After questioning, though, that really incredible thing, just like what happens with Captain Miller and, and his people, is that they're going to see your good deeds. They're going to see how you live life. They're going to see that, man, there's, there's something different about this guy or this girl. They just, you know, they, they don't watch those same things. Or they don't, they don't uh, you know, spend their money that same way, or they don't really have all this stuff, and they're just really, really happy. They're filled with joy, and they just filled with promise and this hope, and there's just, there's something, something different. I just don't get it. And what happens is they start asking, and you have the opportunity to tell them. You didn't have to bring up and tell them, hey, I'm doing all these things. You should follow me. They just see the difference. They're like, man, I'm, I want some of that. I, I need some of that. I, I feel empty. I feel void, but you always feel full. And, and I just want to remind us that the way that Jesus designed us to live, that he's asking us to live, at times it may seem off, like it's really, it's way better to do things the other way. But a promise, living life the way Jesus designed us to live is the right way, the best way. And it's not easy. It's very simple, but it's not easy. And I like to say that phrase because a lot of times we can overcomplicate scripture. We start to dive in and pick it apart and be like, well, that didn't really apply to me. That was 2,000 years ago, so I'm going to kind of go this way and do this thing and pick it apart and say, well, I'll, I'll take this thing here and I'll do this, and we overcomplicate it. It's plain and simple. Jesus says these things. This is the way you should live. That's it, plain and simple. It's not easy. It's never easy, especially in the way that we live in our life. I mean, what's available here in America, it's so easy to store up treasures, to filter what our eyes see, I mean, our mind is so easy to dive into entertainment with what we have at our fingertips. To not allow money to take control of us and be a slave to our possessions, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth the fight to regain that and to live life the way Jesus designed. Why? Because God took time to come down to earth to live as Jesus and to teach us. He took time to live the life that we should have lived. He took time to die the death that we should have died and to raise to life. And give us that same promise, that same opportunity to raise in newness of life by the cross. He extends grace. 
The other part I love about that scene is it kind of reminds us that we're all human. Um, as a, a speaker, I don't do this often, but I get uh, convicted, for lack of better words, of saying things like that because I'm guilty of everything I just spoke. I'm guilty. I've, I fall short. I, I like possessions. <laughs> Hi, my name's Aaron. I like stuff, you know. Um, but the truth is, is, as much as we like stuff, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus said, look, I love you. I love you enough to stand on top of a mountain. I love you enough to live a life here for 33 years, to experience death. I love you enough to experience losing my friends, to go hungry for 40 days, to be thirsty for 40 days. I love you enough to experience pain beyond what you cannot even imagine. The death on the cross is one of the most gruesome deaths ever. And experience all that for our sake so we could know him as Lord and learn that he is worthy of following. He is the most incredible leader. And last time I checked, I don't know about you, but it's his house and it's his rules. And as a Christian, it is our, it's our priority. It's our priority to live the way that Jesus designed us to live. Let's pray.